Welcome to the latest Moneymakers podcast with me, Jonathan Davis. I'm delighted to be joined today by uh, Gervais Williams, who's the managing director of the uh, fund management group Maiton and is well known in the UK for his uh, expertise as a fund manager of UK equities, uh, particularly um, for his expertise in small cap, but increasingly you invest across the whole market. He's also just published a book called The Retreat of Globalization, which uh, makes some interesting and in some contentious observations about where we are in the investment cycle and what's happening in the, in the world. Obviously, we're speaking at the time and just after the inauguration of Donald Trump as President of the United States. Perhaps you just explain, Gervais, why you wrote this book at this time and how Trump fits into this scenario that you're painting in the book. Yes, it's interesting. I, I see my role mainly as a fund manager making money for clients and, of course, keeping clients well informed as to the trends. So the purpose of the book is to really help me think. I, at the moment, I think it's a period of change coming through in markets. I think the, the status quo is coming to an end. I think the electorate preferences are moving away from the status quo. And uh, at that stage, we all need to put our thinking hats on and find a good way forward. And the retreat of globalization was helping me articulate in my own mind, actually, which way is the way forward. And of course, in the end, I found that I had enough text to put in the book, but it wasn't the purpose was not to write a book. The purpose was to help me think. So looking at the bigger picture, we've had this period of globalization, I suppose, uh, the last 20 years or a bit more perhaps since China re-entered the trading system and other okay. emerging markets and mm-hmm. so on. Uh, and that's been a very significant trend that's affected every, every country, every economy around the world. Uh, but you say in the book that that trend is now facing some significant headwinds. And indeed, you say it's past the high watermark. I think it has. Yes. Uh, why is that? I think there's three or four trends which came together, and it was sometimes known as the Goldilocks period because everything was going right. So we had the globalization of world trade, which probably added 45% uh, ultimately to the of extra world growth. On top of that, we also had a period when the flood of low-cost imports meant that actually interest rates were lower for longer, uh, even before 2008, and that meant that... Uh, the opportunity for companies to borrow meant that it got cheaper and cheaper. Uh, most recently, we've also had bond yields firming even further. So valuations of all assets, including equities, have gone up. And overlaying all of that, profit margins since 1985 have moved up. So you've had very strong growth, rising profit margins, rising valuations, and companies making out like bandits. And that's been brilliant because that's come through in a compound return in the all share since 1985, say in the index, of 9.6% per year for over 30 years. Terrific stuff. But unfortunately, many of those trends are coming to an end. Um, and we're seeing that most specifically through this changing uh, social attitudes and leading to political change. And that just is underwriting in the form of Trump and indeed uh, Brexit, a, a preference for uh, change rather than the status quo. So Brexit and the election of Trump are basically symptoms of what's happening rather than causes. Though presumably the things they're going to do or the things that are going to follow Brexit and the things that Trump may or may not do uh, are going to accentuate those those trends. Absolutely. I mean, the, the difficulty, of course, is that uh, reaching for change is, 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 is good because positives can come out of it, but also it can lead to a period of uh, negative uh, aspects about those changes. There'll be winners and losers. And for that reason, I do think fund managers need to be more careful about holding on to the steering wheel at the moment than uh, they have probably for the last 20 or 30 years. So in other words, we've been we've been driving along a very kind of flat, smooth motorway with lots of bumps along the way, but basically the trends have been in pretty inexorable. And perhaps, I, I guess, has been sustained by the policies that have been pursued since the financial crisis. Financial crisis is a kind of warning sign in a way, but yeah. since then we've had remedial measures, QE and so on, 
that have perhaps delayed this uh, encounter with the new world. So what are going to be the features of this, of this new world, post-globalization world? Um, are we going to see uh, a collapse in world trade, for example, do you think? Are you expecting that? I, I, none of us know that. Um, uh, if, if, once you pass the high water market, it could be that we just have a long period of stability and, and not much retreat on globalization at all. Or it could be that the new policies are, uh, provoke a reaction and others also go for a protectionist policy and you get this tit for tat. And that could lead to uh, a, you know, a reversal of some of the globalization we've seen recently. So none of us know that at the moment. What we do know, though, probably is that the ongoing adoption of more globalization is probably coming to an end. The, the Trade Pacific Partnership is not going forward. Uh, there's uncertainty about the Euro European Union with the UK coming out and whether that will cause others to uh, to have less, uh, for the speed of embracing uh, the EU to sort of slow up a bit. So generally the pattern has changed already and therefore that does mean there's going to be more winners and losers going forward. I think the losers will probably lose out more significantly. If you get caught out in future, uh, then you won't be able to cut interest rates in the way we did in 2008. You know, we can't cut interest rates from five and three quarter half to half percent again. Uh, you know, we can't use QE in the same way as before. It was shock and awe, but now we, we can use it, but we've lost all the shock and awe, the bond yields are already lower. So the penalties on a specific one by one basis, and indeed for economies, of getting it wrong is going to be much more adverse. On the other side of it, if we're lucky enough to be uh, very short-footed about the way that we steer our way forward, particularly portfolios or indeed economies overall, then there's more opportunity to actually succeed as well. So one of the issues, there, let's, let's, let's talk about um, uh, you're an equity fund manager, you invest in companies, obviously you, we've been through this period of very high profits. Um, if we get a period of uh, rising interest rates properly, some kind of uh, retreat from globalization, um, does that mean that we're going to see a squeeze on company profits uh, in the next few years? And therefore, that's one reason why you need to be selective in what you're investing in. I think it's quite interesting. I mean, if you look at productivity, which is the cornerstone of all wealth generation, uh, it was advancing quite nicely up to 2008. Uh, we did have a setback 2007 to 2008 for obvious reasons. Volumes were down, operational gearing worked to reverse. There was a pickup in 1910, um, but unfortunately, that's not been sustained. And in spite of interest rates remaining lower for longer, in spite of oil prices collapsing, productivity has actually been falling on a worldwide basis since 2012. And um, that probably means that actually the ability of companies to invest and, and capex returns on that investment are, are not coming through in the way they were previously. And that is leading to uh, the, the risk that those companies which get caught out uh, are more poorly positioned and fall further. And if you think of that in the context of a, a, an economy where, where there's little in the way of safety nets in terms of interest rate cuts and such like, it does mean that when things go wrong, uh, individual companies, which may be more geared than they would normally be, partly because of the last 30 years, means that there's more downside risk. Uh, opportunities still will come through, though. The opportunities are that companies which uh, get caught out will leave more, more, more space for those which are vibrant to come through. And what's been interesting, perhaps, about the uh, lending sector, the banking sector, is that actually the clipping back of many of the banks has actually allowed a very vibrant fintech sector to come through. Some of the challenge of banks are coming through, you know, social funding and all that kind of stuff is crowdfunding is all coming through. It's quite a vibrant sector, actually. There's, there's some really efficient operators. Uh, there's some very res resilient operators coming through. And so I think we're going to get more of a mix where perhaps some of the individual companies which have dominated markets will retreat a bit, but particularly there will be some more opportunities for not just small companies, but more vibrant companies to come through. 
Well, that certainly would be a good thing, I think. One of the criticisms, obviously, of the policy that's been pursued the last few years is that there has been an element, by keeping interest rates so low, it has an element of zombification of companies. People have been, companies are not investing as much as they were, but they're coasting along and new entrants find it harder to challenge them. So what you're saying is that one consequence of the new environment is that those there'll be a higher turnover of corporate life, if you like. Yes, I mean, we, we, let's not uh, you know, skip across the fact that, that you know, this will, will cause social distress when companies are, are get caught out or risk going bust. You know, this is, this is, this is costing people's individual lives. But, but probably the result of that may be that we actually become a more uh, agile and uh, more productive economy, and that will be driving the cash, which pays for our wage rises. That will drive the cash, which uh, particularly means that there's more tax take, and ultimately the cash, which drives up uh, pensions so that those people who are saving are able to have a, a retirement in the future. So in one sense, therefore, that is a slightly more if you like, a sort of saner, more logical world than the one we've been through for the last uh, seven or eight years anyway. Yes, we... I mean, it's always felt a little bit um, uh, strange, hasn't it, where the markets have been hitting ever new highs and, and, and investors have been making out generally pretty well. Um, but when you look under the bonnet at the real world, you know, economic growth has continued to disappoint. Uh, individual companies are slightly struggling at certain stages. Um, some companies could um, find that they get caught out. and they, 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 you know, We haven't seen a lot of companies going past, but one feels that quite a lot of companies are a bit vulnerable. And we haven't mentioned inflation yet. Do you, do you, are you one of those who believes that in this, one of the consequences of this trend will be higher inflation, higher sustained inflation, that is? Yes. I mean, if you're investing less in capital expenditure, then a small amounts of growth can be more inflationary. So that, that's the background, and I certainly think that's a danger. But my own view is actually that I'm more worried that uh, the problems of China will actually lead to a Chinese devaluation and if that was to happen, if the, defla- if the devaluation of the Chinese yuan was more significant than their internal inflationary pressures, then that could actually lead to another pulse of deflationary pressures around the world. So uh, I'm not a straight inflationist. I think we, I can see it could come out both ways. Uh, what I do think, though, is the status quo doesn't work. So we need to steer around this uh, in an active way. Do you have great confidence that the political leadership we now have around the world, uh, in Europe or in um, in the States and in Japan. I mean, are they up with events, do you think? Or are they likely to be able to handle this transition successfully or not? As with companies, I think there'll be winners and losers. Um, (laughs) Will, you know, Theresa May be a winner? Uh, Will Donald Trump be a winner? Um, It's too early to say. Um, But I do think um, that the need to have a changed environment is leading them to be bolder about their decisions. And if they are sure-footed and if they uh, do make good decisions, then that will be reflected in an economy which probably has a rebalancing towards those sectors which actually are more productive. Would you put the odds at 50-50 or better? I, I probably fundamentally would like things to be better than 50-50. But um, as I say, I, I, I'm reserving judgment because I think it's almost too early to tell at the moment. Now, one of the other interesting consequences which you mentioned in this book and um, perhaps might be a subtext of it, is that you're arguing that basically this, the last few years have been unusual in the sense or, or index funds have done very well in the, in the equity market, uh, extraordinarily well, in fact, for a long time, uh, made it very difficult for active fund managers. But you're saying that that's another thing that's going to change from where we are now. Now, why do you, why do you make that argument? Apart, obviously, you are slightly self-interested in that respect because you run active funds. Active funds but but um, what's the logic behind saying that, that uh, we've had an exceptional run in indexation, but it, it may be coming to an end? What's the argument? I mean, I think when bond yields get to ultra-low levels, as they are now, 
that implies that all asset returns going forward are going to be subnormal. And that doesn't just apply to equity markets, it applies to property, it applies to bonds, of course. Um, so going forward, we've got lower returns probably baked in with the valuations and all the other factors together. I think overlaying that as change comes through, particularly when we've had a long period of such stability, 30 years perhaps of consistent economic policy, then I think uh, those companies which get caught out can get caught out really badly. You know, if you've got too much debt, you have got much too much, particularly if profit margins come under pressure. So if profit margins are coming under pressure, some companies got that caught out with too much debt, perhaps with their scale in some cases, their, their agility is less. I think that the penalty for getting it wrong is going to be more severe. So I think that the index funds will be full of those companies which do get caught out, and when they do get caught out, risk going to bust and, and, and cost clients a lot of money. Um, that means that as fund managers, it, it's more important than ever to be selective. And if you can particularly prioritise those companies with safe balance sheets, those companies with agility, those companies investing uh, to generate productivity improvement, which even when the world isn't growing, will generate a cash payback. I think those factors together will be disproportionately successful. Just just a couple of days ago, I saw a company, an old company, uh, we're inside on it, so I won't mention the name, but it's a very good company. It's done very well. It's drilling holes on shore for a cash, cash payback of just one and a half years. And one of their competitors has gone bust. And as a result of that, they've been able to do a deal buying the assets, overlapping assets, with the wrong price. And effectively, they are raising new money with a cash payback on this deal of less than 12 months. Now, you know, that kind of opportunity is exceptional, but it reflects that, you know, corporate decay is also matched with corporate opportunity. And when it comes to index funds, they are disinterested in the, the weightings of the stocks in their portfolio. They just take the biggest and, and give them the biggest weightings. And that factor alone means that they have no conviction in their largest holdings. And often, at this time, when risk is elevated, uh, they often some of the largest holdings may be some of the most risky. So I think index funds are going to be very bumpy. Um, they could do better than I expect, but generally I fear that they will be uh, fully weighted in the stuff which doesn't do well, um, and therefore overall returns can be disappointing. Are you suggesting in that if we just took the FTSE 100, for example, um, that there are companies in there which are large at the moment paying uh, quite solid dividends that, that may not be uh, featuring quite so prominently in five, ten years' time? Absolutely. I mean, if we take the view that perhaps that uh, you know, profit margins have doubled since 1985 and that they may not decline very fast, but they are not likely to go any higher and indeed could come under pressure, and we've certainly seen this in the supermarket sector, for example, um, as that, if that pressure widens because you know there's not much world growth and customers generally become more price sensitive, then as that happens, those companies which are uh, probably the most vulnerable could disproportionately lose out, and that will lead to dividend cuts. Uh, Pearson, of course, is a classic example already this year, uh, and I think there will be more. If you look over the last 12 months at the FTSE All Share, if you take out the benefits of devaluation, de devaluation meant that some companies which are paying overseas dividends in the UK see their dividends move up. But if you take that benefit out, then the overall dividend growth across the FTSE All Share was minus 1% last year. Right. And in terms of cover and so on, it's, it's also pretty, uh, pretty stretched. The margin of safety in terms of dividend cover, which is a reflection of how much the earnings are ex exceeding the dividend payments, is as low as it's been for the last 20 years. Right. And so that won't be sustained indefinitely. We can be sure about that. So that then leads on to how one should be doing with it. You talk about the need for a new investment strategy in this new world. Uh, and we've passed the high water mark, so it's time to start on that new strategy. Absolutely. Um, 
the only problem being that we we, we don't quite know whether <laughs> where we're going yet. So what does what does that mean in practical terms? What does what does a new investment strategy mean? I know one thing you'd say it means multi cap investing is likely to be more rewarding than just sticking to indexation. But what what else do you mean by a new investment strategy? Yes, I think I think we've got to be much more attentive to downside risk as well as uh, upside opportunity. So uh, for the last thirty years, if you did get it wrong. Some companies got taken over, some companies did go bust, but generally um, some of the uh, companies which disappointed tended to not be so disappointing and clients overall did pretty well. I think going forward we've got to be so much more attentive to balance sheet risk and getting caught out. If you do get a setback uh, because the world goes into recession, take the worst by case example, um, then you want to have a business which can take advantage of the weakness of others and can take more recovery potential. Secondly, I do think um, it's more important than ever to hold on to your margins. And if margins are coming under pressure, how do we, as active fund managers, select for companies which can hold on their margins? And that does include uh, CapEx, but most particularly in productivity improvement, but most particularly probably its outstanding service levels. Not just good service levels, outstanding service levels. Sometimes if you're getting an outstanding service level, you are happy not to take a lower price by moving elsewhere. And so I think fund managers, in all cases, need to be much more attentive to asking companies not just what their service levels are, but how do they measure them? How can they be confident that they're, they're outstanding? How can they be sure that their services are so much better than others? How can they, you know, is it important enough for them to include this detail in their board papers? This is an agenda which most companies, when I see them, are underprepared for. Uh, I don't think many other fund managers are asking, but I do think this is a, a key criteria which can give companies not just the ability to invest and get cash paybacks through uh, growing their sales, but actually sustain their margins and getting real cash improvements over three and five years, which will then drive dividend growth, which will drag their share prices up, particularly if other companies aren't growing their dividends at that time. Well, I think we're all aware, personally, of the difference that service quality can make. And of course, it's always been said, it's one of the things that um, the UK hasn't always been very good at. We've had uh, quite a few industries where financial services was, was probably one. Uh, one can think of a few estate agents and people like that who are listening who haven't done a very good job, um, but it's something you kind of you take for granted until you actually see um, something better, and then and then you want to pay for it. Mm, absolutely. Um, actually, I, I probably would take slight challenge about the the UK not being always been very good at that. Certainly, in the nineteen seventies, we were known as the sick man of Europe, and I think there was quite a lot of businesses which weren't that good a service. But if you go to many of our consumer-facing businesses, for example, some of our restaurants and things, I think we're some of the best in the world now. And I think certainly meeting a lot of the executives of companies I meet, not all, but some companies, you just think, goodness gracious, you know, it, it's just, it's, a, it's, it's extraordinary just how uh, we've got some companies which are literally the best in the world. And, and that's not just in service levels, investing in other things. But I love that aspect about the UK. Right? So I think the UK actually is really quite strong in this area, whether it's as strong as all other companies around the world, I don't know. But there's certainly, we've got some absolute winners. Okay, so let's, uh, on that note, let's just quickly talk about uh, two or three of the winners that might, that might do well, in your view, in this uh, new environment, and which obviously you're invested in. Um, can you give me uh, two or three examples of companies that you think uh, will do well in this environment? Yeah. Yes, I mean, I think actually, interestingly enough, I think manufacturing will be an area where we get uh, a rebalancing of the UK economy. And what's been exciting about the smaller end of the market is that some companies coming to market have been manufacturing companies. So a good example of that might be an Autins, A-U-T-I-N-S. Um, this is a company which is involved in manufacturing non-woven fabrics, particularly used for insulation and, and sound attenuation in cars and, and, uh, and aeroplanes and that kind of thing. And they came to market because they wanted to invest uh, more capex because they, they're trying to keep up with demand. 
Jaguar, the Land Rover is their largest customer, but they've got Volvo and others, and they've been struggling to keep up with demand. They want to put more cash into the business to get a cash payback on the new plants. Cash payback's less than three years, and um, they're getting more orders. And the advantage of when they came to the market, which was just after the UK decided to move out in the um, was that it, it came on at discounted valuations, probably about 13, 13 and a half times now, but PE ratio. But, but most particularly, it's getting this cash payback, it's getting productivity improvement, it's getting customers which are happy, the devaluation of sterling is a benefit to them, uh, and it's just, from our point of view, just the kind of thing. What sort of size is that? has a market cap around 50 million, uh, and it's uh, around 220p share price. So that's, that's, that's the kind of thing that is well within your compass, but but it's outside sort of most institutional investors. Uh, yes, uh, I, mean, it's a, it, I mean, it's probably just under 100, but the point is it, 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 it's on its way up. The share price is recovering very strongly from the issue price because um, it was placed at a cheap valuation. Okay, um, that's one. Uh, another might be another uh, company which is involved in manufacturing called Acrol, A-C-C-R-O-L, came to the market just before um, the Brexit uh, decision. And in that case, it's involved in manufacturing, particularly... Uh, sort of uh, not so much pa- paper, but but loo rolls, where it buys in the paper from from overseas companies, particularly European companies, um, and then cuts them and, 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 and packages them and, and sells them. Particularly at the bottom end of the market, it's 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 it's, it's softies. It's the main brand is not Advex. Uh, they like to think their service and their quality is just as good, possibly better than Advex. But most particularly, that part of the market is taking market share. Uh, they've done some very good deals with some of the low cost retailers. Uh, they've invested hard uh, and they want to invest harder again so they need to put more plants in and the cash payback on some of those is even you know not much over a year again incredibly quick cash payback that company is about 130 million market cap um, but again um, you know uh, their market share in, in the value sector um, has moved up from 50, 35 to 50 percent in the last couple of years so you know this is an excellent company valuation that company's only well the share price has moved up a bit recently but it's only about 11 times again you know low valuation a terrific cash generation productivity improvement uh, they like to think their service level is very good particularly in the boxes for us so is that a, is, is that in a way a technology story as well or is it just doing things better the manufacturing think, is, is partly about technology partly about yes I, I think all businesses really are now have to be technology businesses you know even rules. Even when it comes to rules, it's about <laughs> service levels. It's about uh, attention to detail. It's yeah. about making the packaging um, meet your clients' requirements. About not letting customers down in terms of delivery times. All that stuff, and uh, uh, that's involving computers and, and 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 software just as much as it is involving machines and uh, and, and product design. Okay, and one more. I'll push you for one more. Lovely. Um, we've just had a, a company which um, we've been investing in for a time uh, called Chromec. Um, this is a technology company in the old-fashioned sense that it's led by uh, research and development. Um, this is a company which is involved in helping uh, scanners in hospitals um, uh, see better. Um, this is dominated by people like Toshiba and Siemens. Uh, and their technology can help an existing uh, scanner uh, get more information out, better picture, um, that kind of thing and help. Uh, it's a tremendously exciting company. Uh, it's a company which is going to hopefully uh, be very successful. It's doing about 17 million sales at the moment. Um, uh, and over the next three years, I like to think they're going to get a lot of orders in that area. But in the very short term, they've also got an even more significant opportunity in that they help uh, the, the Home Defence uh, uh, Department in the US 
uh, with detecting nuclear radiation, particularly from dirty type bombs. These aren't nuclear bombs, but bombs when you put some waste nuclear material into a bomb and you know, and, and this is a, a real anxiety for all, all city dwellers. Um, and they've got detectors which are handheld, which are able to not just detect whether there's radiation, but to continue exactly what kind of radiation it is. Um, they just uh, had some of their, their detectors flown out to the US for the uh, inauguration, actually, uh, specifically. Yeah. So the, if, if you know, it's right on the, the threshold of getting more orders in this area. Uh, you know, there's lots of cities in the US which probably would like to have many of their police and, and, and other staff carrying it around. Um, Maybe it'd be more internationally as well. So it, it, you know, there's a great opportunity for them rollout. They've actually just recently announced a fundraising to provide more working capital so that they can take more orders on. Um, literally, it is probably one of the most exciting companies I've seen in my career in the last ten years. And how did that start? Was it a spin-out from university, or was it? A, is it? Uh... That's exactly right. It is. A, it is originally based from a university, but it's um, it's run by a management team who came to the market probably three years ago. And people were pretty excited then, but unfortunately, as with all things, it doesn't always happen straight away. So there has been a period of disappointment. The share price has actually fallen off. The market cap is, after the fundraising, is probably about 45, 50 million. Uh, actually, it's just raised 20 million, probably 55 million. Um, but most particularly, uh, you know, if it can right, if we don't know at this stage, you know, the, the, the upside is quite substantial. So there's upside, but there's also risk involved, as always. Yes, yeah, the nice thing is, though, after the fundraising, uh, the, the balance sheet's very strong. It's got lots of cash on it there. So that's taken out some of the downside risk amount. Very good. Well, that's all very, very interesting, Gervais, and uh, thank you for that. Um, perhaps I just better finish with a, with a sort of general question, which is uh, one I alluded to earlier, really. But in a way, in this, if we're, if we're at a turning point, uh, as you suggest, often it takes time for people to realise that we are at a turning point. So that means we could be in for quite a bumpy ride over the next two, three years as, as this new order kind of comes into place. Mm-hmm. So you would expect quite a lot of volatility and possibly sort of uh, the markets could be quite weak or... Yes, yeah, so I don't know how weak they'll be because I think interest rates will probably remain lower for longer. Even if inflation picks up, I think we'll be slow at raising interest rates very substantially. So valuations uh, on bond yields will probably remain... You know, at the higher levels. So I'm probably not massively worried about you know uh, big setbacks. But what I, what I am worried is that individual companies could be caught out, um, and that individual stocks could cost. I mean, you know, take Pearson's. You know, it was fifteen pounds only about yes. just over twelve months ago, and it's now five pounds eighty. And, and a lot of clients have lost a lot of money very quickly, and it's not about to come back in a hurry. So stock selection. And even a company like Next or something, which is a very good company, yes. has taken what, a 40% hit. That's exactly right. So yeah. I think there's real money to be lost out there. On the other hand, I still think there's real money to be made too. And um, so get your steering wheel out uh, <laughs> and, and use it. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, thank you very much. You have been listening to a Money Makers podcast hosted by the author and professional investor, Jonathan Davis. An archive of all our podcasts can be found on the website www.money-makers.co and also on iTunes and several other popular podcasting channels. We are an editorially independent business with a primarily educational purpose. If you are interested in investment and have enjoyed this conversation, I do hope you'll join me again for more discussion of current topics with leading professional investors. Thank you for listening. Thank you.